Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Mr. Kevin Drum will join us to discuss Terminated. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, joining us today is Mr. Kevin Drum of Mother Jones, who has written the new article Terminated, in which he explains why a future of driverless cars and Google Glasses may not be so rosy, especially for the workers whose jobs will quickly become automated. And I'm sure you know what you're thinking. Sure, that won't be for another century at least, but closer than you might think. And joining us today again is Mr. Kevin Drum to explain just why jobs may be at risk from the robots coming to get them. Mr. Drum, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me. Well, it's certainly a pleasure, certainly an interesting uh, article you wrote uh, for Mother Jones. And just how close is the uh, pending robot apocalypse? Well, a, a lot of people have different opinions about that. Um, I'm, I'm pretty aggressive in, in what I believe. And there, there are sort of two sides to this. One is kind of the raw hardware side, kind of raw computing power that we need in order to, uh, to get to artificial intelligence. And my guess is that at the rate that computing power is, uh, is increasing right now, that we'll get to the point where we can build an affordable kind of computer that has the same computing power of the human brain, probably around 2025 or so, maybe 2030 at the latest. Now, the second part of that is you need more than just a computer. You've also got to write the software. You have to write all the algorithms that actually make it smart. And that'll take a little bit longer. And so my guess, maybe 2040 or so. So it's really an argument based on rapidly increasing uh, computing power of most computers. That's right. Rapidly increasing both hardware and software. You know, it's, it's you know Moore's law is a fairly famous law of computer science, which suggests um, computing power, hardware computing power, doubles about every 18 months. And that's held for the last 50, 60 years. And the question is whether it's going to hold long enough into the future for us to get hardware platforms that, uh, that have the computing power of a human brain. You know, will it last for another 15 or 20 years? Um, I think it will. A, a less well-known law, because it's not, it's not a law, there's no name given to it, is how fast software progresses. But the evidence suggests to me that software actually progresses at least as fast as hardware. In, in fact, it might even double in power faster than hardware. So I think both hardware and software are going to get to the point where we can uh, produce artificial intelligence faster than most people think. And is there really no job that uh, you think will be uh, immune to encroachment? Yeah, in the long run, uh, no, I don't think there will be. You know, this won't happen overnight. It's going to happen faster than people think. But it's not like we're going to wake up one day and suddenly we have, uh, we have smart machines that can do everything we can do. It'll happen gradually. Some jobs will go away faster than others. But, yeah, I think by, you know, my guess is that by 2040 or so, that, yeah, we will have smart machines that really are as smart as human beings. And once we get there, then, yeah, by definition, they will be able to do everything that a human being can do. 
So what does this mean then for how we basically construct our society? Are we going to be free then to uh, pursue all of our whims, or are we basically going to become outmoded and the, uh, the robots are going to take over? Well, the, the reason I wrote the article was that I think there's two different answers to that. You know, the answer number one is what happens in the future after we get to, to this point where we have artificial intelligence? And the answer to that question, there, there are thousands of different answers to that question. To that question. What I actually wanted to focus on in my piece was what happens in the meantime? What happens while we're getting there? You know, it's all well and good that someday we'll have robots that can do all of our work for us, produce all the material goods we want, and that leaves us free to do whatever we want. Maybe some of us are going to spend all day watching TV or playing video games. Some of us will end up, uh, you know, writing plays and, and composing music. But what happens in the meantime? You know, before we get there, we're going to spend several decades in which a lot of people are very slowly but steadily going to be losing their jobs, and no one's going to think they're losing their jobs because of automation. They're going to think they're losing their jobs because uh, we're not educating our young people well enough or because unemployment is, is too generous and so people are, don't have an incentive to find a job. You know, sort of the standard left versus right arguments about, you know, why people don't work. And it's going to be a while before we realize that it's, that's not it. What's happening is automation. And we need a different answer for that in the meantime. You know, we might get to paradise eventually, but while we're getting there, it's, it's going to be tough sledding as people lose their jobs. So really, that intervening period of, of massive sort of social economic uh, upheaval, really. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that a lot of people are going to start losing their jobs, and of course that's going to accelerate. I mean, as, as computers get closer and closer to human intelligence, more and more people will lose their jobs. And, and you know, it's something we should take seriously because it's actually starting to happen. I think 20 or 30 years ago, you could look at this and say, well, you know, it's a long way off. Computers are not even anywhere near to getting to human intelligence levels. I think today, I think you're, you're seeing some things that, that should make us believe that we are getting close. You know, when, you, when you've got a computer that can go on Jeopardy and the, the two best champions of all time, when you have Google creating a driverless car that has, I think, so far driven something like 300,000 miles without an accident, you know, these are things that are starting to get close to stuff that a very short time ago only a real human being could do. So we're getting there. So the argument is that most computers, they're, they're pretty good at brute force things, and you can just make them faster, but they'll lack the creativity or those sorts of aspects that make humans able to do uniquely human things. Is there really evidence that computers will sort of turn the corner and be able to adopt those sort of human-like uh, abilities? Well, there's, there's not much evidence yet because, of course, we don't actually have artificial intelligence yet. But I think, you know, the message that I would send to people is don't kid yourself. You know, there are lots of things that we like to think that only a human being can do. And I think that once computers get smart enough, we're going to find out very differently. We're going to find out that a smart machine can do almost everything that a human being can do. It will be able to show empathy. Or if you prefer, maybe if you prefer to think that a computer can't actually be empathetic, you could say it can appear to be empathetic. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether something really is showing empathy or if it merely looks like it's showing empathy. Most people can't tell the difference. 
So yeah, is it real creativity if a computer writes a, a stage play that's the equal of anything that Shakespeare ever wrote? Is it really showing creativity, or is it just a bunch of transistors throwing out some random numbers and, and coming up with something? You know, my message is, who cares? It doesn't matter what's really going on in a, you know, in a philosophical sense uh, down at the, at the level of the programming. What matters is what comes out. And if what comes out is a great stage play or a great novel or a great piece of music, if what comes out is a robot that can carry on a conversation and appear to be sympathetic, then that's all that matters. All that matters is what it appears that a robot can do. So an, another little uh, wrinkle in this is at, at some stage you might imagine that the increases in robotics computing power would blend then with bionics and that you would have ability to enhance current human abilities and so be emerging at some point of both human and robotic abilities in which there might be classes which have become enhanced and those which have not become enhanced through these robotic technologies. Right. That's, you know, that, that's one of the big question marks in this. And the big question mark there is, first of all, what do humans want? So do we want to be bionically enhanced? And my guess is most of us do want to be. I mean, it might sound kind of creepy now, but in fact, slowly but surely, it'll happen. You know, right now, DARPA, the, uh, you know, the defense agency, that, uh, it's the defense agency that originally invented the, uh, the Internet back in the day and does a lot of technological work for the Pentagon, you know, they have created a robotic arm. And they've created a robotic arm that, um, you know, they've designed it for soldiers coming home from wars who have, who have lost their arms. And this robot, the latest version of the robotic arm that they have created can be installed, you know, on a human being at the, 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 on the shoulder bone and can be hooked up in such a way that it can actually be controlled by the brain. Now, that's, you know, that's a very different thing than any kind of prosthetic that we've ever had in the past. But... And it's a bionic arm. Now, it's very crude so far, but, you know, those are going to get better and better. I mean, would you turn that down? I mean, if you, if you lost your leg or your arm or you simply got old and your joints didn't work very well anymore, you know, would you want a bionic arm? Sure, you bet. Why wouldn't you? Would you want a bionic eye if you, if you started to lose your vision? Well, of course you would. And once you get used to that, then the question is, do you want bionic enhancements perhaps to your cognitive abilities? Well, you know... Once all this other stuff becomes commonplace, people are going to want that too. Will that end up being better than a pure digital computer, a pure, a pure machine? That we don't know yet. It might, it might not. Uh, so to what extent do you think various individuals in industry or the government are really thinking about this impending change in how, how society is going to be structured? Well, I can guarantee you that uh, within the military they're thinking about things like this. They're thinking about it from the point of view of what they can do to soldiers hurt on the battlefield. That's a focus right now. But looking into the future, are militaries around the world looking at robotic warfare? Are they looking at how to robotically control drones, how to robotically control uh, robots in the field of battle? Oh, you bet they are. It, it, you know, if nothing else, certainly militaries are looking at that, and militaries have a ton of funding to, uh, to put to that. So, yeah, they're thinking about that. More broadly in the government, are people thinking about it? Uh, no, I don't think they are. I don't think economists are thinking very much about this right now either, and they should be because it's coming soon.
Um, well, certainly there are individuals out in sort of the popular culture who are promoting ideas similar to this, such as Ray Kurzweil and the prediction of the technological singularity. Do you think more of these concepts that are thought about more in terms of independent think tanks trying to guide how technology is evolving in sort of the best possible way? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the things I was I'm, I'm sort of hoping to say in, in my magazine piece was that yeah, in popular culture you see this a lot. You, you see it obviously in science fiction. You see it in movies and books. You see it in in uh, in in the uh, you know sort of the Silicon Valley culture. So as you say, people like Ray Kurzweil have been writing about this for a long time. What I'm suggesting is that it's time to bring this sort of out of the ghetto, if you will, and it's it's time at the very least for economists. I think, for mainstream economists to start really thinking about what this means. You know, their whole field of study is about capital and labor and how the economy works. Well, you know, smart machines are going to change the way deploy labor. It's going to change the way that we deploy capital. And that means it's going to have big, big effects on the economy. And, you know, the fact that we don't know very much about this, I mean, the fact that sitting here right now, I can't tell you very much about that is because economists haven't really given this much thought. They need to start because it's coming soon enough that we need to have some ideas about what we can do about it and how we ought to respond to it when people start losing their jobs at a, at a faster clip than they are now. Part of the challenge is the fact that there are so many unknowns and so many different ways in which can possibly evolve and emerge. So um, predictions in terms of economic impacts is going to be all that much more difficult. Well, that, that's right. But that's all the more reason why a lot of people ought to start looking at this. You're going to get a lot of you're going to get a lot of different predictions, right? I mean, they're they're going to haul out their Greek letter equations and they're going to start trying to figure out how this might play out in the future. And there will be a lot of them, I hope, who will come up with a lot of different scenarios. And then you start to fight it out. You start to argue about which one really makes sense. And eventually, you get to the point where you start to get some agreement about what this might all mean. And what we probably ought to be doing about it. But if you don't start now, you won't, you won't have answers by the time this stuff becomes real. Or be able to guide the, the development of these technologies in the most economically beneficial way possible. Uh, well, that, that I don't think they can do. I think, mm. I think economists can figure out what we ought to do kind of at an economy-wide view, you know, what the government ought to do, what workers ought to do, how we should respond. In terms of guiding the actual technological development, you know, that's just going to happen. I mean, nobody can stop that. Uh, no country can stop that because even if you, even if, you know, we decided here that we didn't like what was going on and we wanted to stop it, it wouldn't matter. If we stop doing it, the Chinese will be doing it, uh, the Europeans will be doing it, the Indians will be doing it, the Russians will be doing it. So it's going to happen and no one's going to guide it. It's, the free market is simply going to, to, to force all this stuff out there. Given the fact that it's such a um, pressing and yet scary possibility, do you think it's just ignored until it's too late? Well, I think um, I think up until now they mostly have, and it mostly sort of gets laughed off as, you know, a Star Wars, Star Trek kind of thing. Um, but, you know, you actually are starting to see some things lately, I think, that have started to get people's, people's attention. Um, you, you know, I mentioned a couple of them. You know, Watson. T take, take Watson as an example. That's the computer... Uh, that played Jeopardy and beat the you know the, the two best champions of all time. Now, when you look at that at first, it sounds like a stunt. Okay, big deal. You know, it won a game of Jeopardy. But you know, IBM has real plans for that computer. Um, they didn't build that software just so they could go on TV and win a round of Jeopardy. Right now, they are using that same software, which has been 
uh, enhanced considerably from a couple of years ago, and they're using it to help doctors make uh, diagnoses. And they're, they're basically in the same way that for Jeopardy, they filled it up with knowledge, the kind of knowledge you get from Wikipedia. Now they're filling it up with the kind of knowledge that you need to make medical diagnoses. Well, you know, that's a real thing. And for now, it's merely something that helps doctors. But, you know, it's going to get better and better and better. It's going to get to the point before probably not too much longer where it's the computer making the diagnosis, and they don't even really need a doctor anymore. And, and believe me, once that happens, then it's going to get some real attention. Or when driverless cars start really replacing long-haul truckers or taxi drivers, then it's going to really start getting some attention. So what should the rest of us do in terms of preparing ourselves for the uh, the pending robot paradise that awaits? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure there's that much you can do at this point. I mean, my, my own view is that this is happening fast enough. And, and you know, like I said, my, 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 my belief is that we'll be here by around 2040 or so. There's not a lot you can do to prepare yourself for that because it's, it's just too soon. Um, you just need to be aware of it. And I think from a society-wide point of view, we need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of what we need to do to address this. It's not something that I, – I don't think it's something that an individual can really do. It's something we all have to do collectively. In the long term, though, you see this as a good thing for the economies and for humans in general, though. Oh, yeah, sure. In, in the long run, once we get through all this, in the years leading up to this, people get put out of work, and we have to decide what to do about that. Now, in the long run, sure, once you get to the point, if we get to the point that I think we're getting to where, you know, where smart machines are really doing all this stuff, then, yeah, what's not to like? Um, you've got machines doing all of our work. Nobody has to – this is not just in America. This is all over the world. You think of, you know, billions of peasants out there leading horrible lives. Well, they don't need to anymore. They'll have machines doing all that work and producing all the food we need, all the material goods we need. And, you know, there's nothing not to like about this. Um, it means that we can spend our lives doing things that are, uh, you know, a lot more interesting, spending 12 hours a day in a field picking crops just to put food in our mouths. Is there any insight that can be drawn from technological transitions that have taken place in the past, for example, the Industrial Revolution? Well, I, there are. I think actually the main, I think the main lesson to be taken is that this is not the same thing. So, you know, what happened in the Industrial Revolution was that we basically invented machines that could do physical work, right? So, you know, the, the original Luddites, for example, were, were skilled weavers who were concerned that the new power looms driven by steam power would put them out of work. Well, you know, it turned out the Luddites were right. Those skilled weavers were put out of work by power looms. Now, in the long run, looking at all of society, this all turned out to be a good thing. Machines did put people out of work, but they also made work for more people. So you had people building the machines, fixing the machines, running the factories that produced automobiles and, uh, and, and other uh, consumer goods. And in the end, we ended up with a society where we had a lot more stuff and everybody was still employed because we needed people to run the factories and run all the machines. Now, that is not what's – this is not going to be a rerun of that when we have what, what I call the digital revolution, because this time we're going to have machines that not only provide physical power, but also provide cognitive power, mental power. 
And that means that these machines literally can do anything that a human being can do. So, you know, the old argument is, yeah, a machine will put you out of work, but you will find work doing something else. Well, if you have a machine that can do anything a human being can do, that's just not true anymore. You say, well, if you're put out of work as a magazine writer, as I am, you'll find work doing something else. No, I won't, because a computer that can write magazine articles can do anything else that I can do, too. So kind of by definition, I'm not just out of work as a magazine writer. I'm out of work, period, because these new machines will be able to do anything I can do. So what I'm telling people is, no, this is not the Industrial Revolution 2.0. This is something completely new. It really will put us out of work. And no, we will not have, we will not be able to find jobs doing something else because machines will be doing those jobs too. You know, reiterate, this is just something that we need to start thinking about seriously. It's not, you know, it's not science fiction anymore. It's not something to be treated as a, as a, as a joke. It's something that I think everyone needs to think about. I think economists especially need to really, really start thinking about how this is going to impact our society. Okay. Mr. Drum is a writer for uh, Mother Jones, and uh, his article can be seen uh, in the recent uh, issue. And, Mr. Drum, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. All right. Thanks for having me on. And you were just listening to Mr. Kevin Drum discussing the Terminated. This is the Grok's Science Show. Coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000, so stay tuned. Time to play our game, the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer, formerly known as Deep Blue. And today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic when will our jobs become obsolete? So, for the following five individuals, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know when do you think their jobs will be obsolete? And a little reason why. Drum, you're ready to play our game. I'm ready. Okay, person number one, when will his job become obsolete? It's the uh, real estate mogul, Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump will probably be just about the last person to be obsolete because people with money are the people who are going to own all the robots in the future. So I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I think everybody's job will be obsolete by around 2040 or so. And since I think he'll be the last one, I'm going to say 2040. <laughs> all right. Well, good news for him then. Uh, number two, the golfer, Tiger Woods. Well, that's a good question. Sports. Will sports survive the robot revolution? Um, they could. But on the other you take a look at chess. Right? Robots can now play chess better than human beings, and yet we still have chess matches. So sports is one of the very few um, occupations that actually might last forever, even beyond 2040. It's possible that Tiger Woods will never be replaced by a robot. I guess we should all uh, take up a sport then. Number three, when will his job become obsolete? It's futurist Ray Kurzweil. 
Oh, well, his job is going to become obsolete very quickly. As, as, the, as the future becomes real, we don't need him anymore. Uh, you know, Ray has been predicting for a while that computers are going to get smart enough to take away our, all of our jobs, and among other things, and the singularity will come. But, you know, once that happens, you don't need Ray anymore. So uh, Ray's job more than likely will be obsolete by about 2025. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Number four, when will her job become obsolete? Is the uh, entertainer Lady Gaga. Her job will become obsolete when a computer can both write songs and sing them as well as a human being. I'm going to take, that takes a real wild guess. I'm going to say that that will happen probably by about 2030. All right. And uh, finally, number five, when will his job become obsolete? Uh, President of the United States, Barack Obama. Hmm. Well, uh, Obama's job is going to become obsolete in three years, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> the uh, job of president in general uh, more than likely, human beings are going to want to have uh, a figurehead running the country uh, forever who's human. So probably his job won't, won't technically become obsolete ever, but in terms of who's actually running the country, my guess is that humans will become obsolete by, like I said, around 2040, and the President of the United States might still be around, but won't actually be doing very much. Well, maybe Robot Congress can actually get some stuff done. We can help. Yeah, help. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Mr. Drum, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the uh, Grok Science Show. And again, talking about this is a very fascinating uh, issue. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thanks for having me on. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.